0: For those who don't know, my name is Kiefer, uh, part of the Glorify Him podcast. I'm very excited to sit down today and share my testimony of how the Lord drew me to Himself, how I came to know who He is, and how I have developed since in my journey. And I'm very, very excited to recall these events and get into the story. So, you know, where where does it all begin? So I grew up in a Christian household, but that's a little different. And I want to explain why, because my parents never really came to the faith until 2010. But let's back up a little bit, because it may have seemed, you know, to the natural eye that we were in the faith, we were, quote unquote, practicing, whatever that means to practice your faith. But, you know, there's tough times ahead. I was, I think, nine years old. My math serves me correct. I was nine years old. And this is in 2008, where, you know, things got rough, rough at home. My parents were... Constantly fighting, um, going back and forth, on the brink of divorce. I would say it was pretty rough. You know, as a nine-year-old, I haven't. I had an older brother. I have a younger sister now. But my brother and I both wrestled with it, and it impacted us pretty badly and emotionally. You know, emotionally scarred, shall I say, at that time at least. I think that's kind of when I started developing all these insecurities and all these feelings, and you know, mental health challenges. At the age of nine, you can't really recognize it for what it is, and I really don't didn't know what Mental health was at the time. That's a story for a little bit later. But yeah, let's skip ahead a little bit. 2010, they reconcile. Praise God. They became dedicated to the faith, and that's when I'd say my quote unquote my journey started. Not really, uh, and I'll explain that as well. But I always had a knack for it. I was always interested in it. I would join my mom, my dad, my uncle, my cousin, and my brother. We would all go street preaching, Celebration Square, shadow Square One, you know, with a big banner, and. Don't worry, it wasn't anything crazy. It was just, you know, a lot of fun just, you know, playing the guitar on the street, you know, worshiping God, um, having conversation with people walking by, introducing them to God and more specifically Jesus and what he's done through the gospel message, of course. And I attended a Christian private school from grade five to eight. And the curriculum was absolutely amazing. Uh, Teachers were phenomenal. What they were fostering there and what they still foster there today is absolutely brilliant and that's kind of when I noticed I had an interest in Christianity. Transitioning from grade 8 to 9 was tough because I was going from a Christian private school with 11 people in my class to a Catholic school board Uh, I won't name the school and it was tough because now I had what like 25-30 people in each class and I think my grade, my grade in grade eight, like grade eight, had eleven people. Grade nine had like what a couple hundred. I don't even know how it works in terms of how many people were in grade nine when I was there. But just numbers wise, and, and getting to that point, transitioning to that is is hard. Well, it was hard for me at least. I'll speak for myself. Um, the reason we chose a Catholic school was we thought you know, growing up Christian. Attending a Christian private school only makes sense as opposed to a public school to get some taste of it at least, right? So I will be the first to say, and I will stand by this if anyone asks, uh, the Catholic school board is not much different than the public school board in terms of what is going on, uh, in terms of student life. I didn't meet anyone, I think, in the faith When I say in the faith, I mean someone who is very strongly convicted. This is my personal experience. Obviously, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation here. Um, But I did not meet anyone who was big into the Christian faith. Uh, So in grade nine, it was tough. I was navigating new waters. You know, I couldn't really make any friends. I couldn't really get a sense for anyone, to be honest with you. You know, obviously, group projects, uh, class events, school events, all this kind of stuff, I would go to them. But I never really connected uh, with anyone. So grade nine was tough. It was like you know, pretty lonely. And as soon as that happens, when you're a kid, man, you don't want to go through that your whole high school life because everyone is telling you up to that moment that these are the best four years of your life. And then when you go to university, they repeat the same thing. That kind of led to, a a you know, that change of events here. In in grade 10, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. bit. I wanted to open myself up a little more um, to the idea of letting my guard down, I guess. I think that's the best way I could put it. And first of all, this is not a slight against anyone or any friend I've had or have right now. Um, But I will recall events from my perspective and uh, share my story truthfully and honestly (laughs) and transparently with everyone here today. So obviously, you know, with all these Christian morals and values that I've been raised with, letting my guard down meant, I guess, masking my Christian identity or discarding it in a sense or parking it to the side, keeping it accessible if I needed to, you know, reach back out and grab it and slip really slope from there because I opened myself up and I didn't just park it to the side I actually disregarded um, my Christian morals. I opened myself up to conversations, um, that I don't think should be had at that age, or in general, to be honest with you, perverse talk, obscenities um, is flung around every single day, every single second in high school, whether you're a Catholic school or public school. Um, so it was rough, and I wasn't used to it, to be quite honest with you. So as I, as I finally, you know, started opening myself up, I discarded my faith, didn't really pay much attention to it, didn't let it get in the way of what friends I'm mingling with. Um, as I said, not a slight against anyone, but if you have those Christian morals, values and worldview, I was pretty young, so I won't, I won't really call it a worldview. I haven't developed it for myself at the time, but at least that lens, I'd say, um, if it doesn't align with people, it's not a slight against the person, kind of a slight against the worldview in a sense, but there's not much there, right? So you have to, in a sense make, make up this, this false identity or act a certain way and be a certain way, because you don't want to go through these four years lonely and alone and have nothing to do and, you know, be eating lunch alone. Hey, there's nothing wrong with all that stuff, by the way, I would rather do that. But for me personally, that's, those are the thoughts that were occurring in my mind, right? Is I didn't want to go through any of that kind of stuff. I didn't want to get bullied. I didn't want to get made fun of. I didn't want to get picked on. So I focused on creating someone new, right? So the things that were not cool are now super cool to me. You know, swearing is, is really, really cool. It's um, making fun of people, uh, bullying people. Um, I don't think I ever physically bullied anyone, but verbally being disrespectful, not only to students, but, you know, to teachers as well. Um, acting like I'm the smartest one in the room all the time. That could get really annoying, man. Trust me. Um, Just being all these things that I, that I grew to understand were wrong. And then finally doing those things because I wanted friends, right? I was very interested in doing well, grades wise, and I was doing well in grade nine. And then as 10 and 11 started coming up on me, I started slipping purposely, um, letting things go, not interested in doing homework, would rather blow it off and do something else. This is when things got rough. Okay. Let's transition grade 11. I'd say, I think it was end of grade 11. I'm not mistaken, no, I'm tripping. It's grade 10. Grade 10. All of a sudden, I walk from my first class math to my second class science. And I am sitting in the room. This is grade 10. And out of nowhere, palms became sweaty. Knees weak, arms are heavy. Now I'm joking. Palms became sweaty and blurry vision. Heart is going crazy. My heart rate is going crazy. I'm absolutely dizzy and this has hit me out of nowhere. So I don't know if I got roofied or something, but something was happening to me. I look over at the girl next to me. I said, yo, if the teacher comes in and he asks where I am, just tell him I'm not feeling well and I left class, please. Because I I made a run for the doors. I ran, almost fell down the stairs to be quite honest with you. And as soon as I got outside with some fresh air, I felt way better. And I was like, yo, I have no idea what this is. Mind you, I was never really exposed to mental health or mental illness and mental health challenges. And I wasn't familiar with this kind of stuff, right? Personally, you hear about it, but you never you never really understand it until you're exposed to it personally. So that happened next day. What do you know? Exact same thing. Exact same time. I leave my first class, go to my second class, panic attack, run outside, feel better. Next day, repeat. And at a certain point, I actually couldn't go to school because it would happen every single day. And I, you develop a fear of it consistently happening where you're avoiding the situation now. That developed into an eating disorder in the sense that I wouldn't eat. I would be very anxious to eat food. I would feel nauseous every single time I sit down. I have nothing in my stomach and I'm still feeling nauseous. I think I lost like 20. I was already a really, really skinny kid and I lost like 20 pounds. So I was like just bones at that point. And I I couldn't eat for the life of me. People who are familiar with mental illness understand and know that linked with anxiety often comes depression. Um, Obviously that stems from not only anxiety but the eating disorder, the lack of confidence because I can't step outside of my house without having a panic attack, right? Thank God my parents take this stuff very seriously so counseling was right around the corner i enter into counseling you know fill out the forms start that journey and slowly but surely i was able to you know get back to school still had trouble eating at restaurants for example i would actually order my meal put it in a box come home and then eat it because i couldn't eat it back (laughs) back then in restaurants and the mental illness thing just kept building, kept building. My depression never left. So my anxiety was there. My depression just kept rising. It's my anxiety kind of like, I got that under control. My depression just, you know, continued to increase. And at, I think this is grade 11 now. I think we're in grade 11. I got diagnosed with, you know, anxiety and depression. And this is when I started to explore, uh, this is the end of grade 11 is grade 12. My apologies for my memory. It's been a while, or at least it feels that way because it hasn't been that too long. It hasn't been too long, but um, you know, transitioning into grade twelve, I started exploring medication. Right? They offered me medication, and the problem with this was, I was already, I already came to you know rock bottom. I already hit rock bottom. I already came to the point where um, I'm suicidal. And the told, you know, they told you and they tell you, they tell you, you know, it gets worse for the medication before it gets better. And not only that, you have to experiment, right? So not every, you, to, you kind of have to find the right medication for you. It's not just that, you know, we give you this and it's perfect. Now, you, there's like a little trial and error, which is, that's how it works, right? But it was scary for me because from my angle, I'm already at rock bottom. I'm already suicidal and the psychiatrist is saying oh yeah it's gonna get worse before it gets better so in my head i'm like what does worse mean because i'm not trying to commit suicide and this can be extremely dangerous in that case if that's what it means right um so they put me on a medication now i developed an eating disorder where i ate too much so put on weight didn't really work for me okay stop that one what's the next one put me on that one gave me medication for my anxiety And medication just never really sat with me. It never really worked for me. Side note, I know I said this in the mental illness episode, but I am totally not against medication for mental illness. I think it is required for a lot of the people out there. I think it helps a lot of people there, Um, but it's not for everyone. And I was one of those people that it didn't work for. When grade 12 came around, I was totally not myself. I think I've lost every part of me at that point. Uh, that new character I just wanted to create in grade 10 was the person I now became, um, things that never interested me, started to interest me. How much money can I make? <laughs> I always talk about money cause it's just funny. Uh, didn't mean trying there. I never, I never touched alcohol in high school. Funny enough, I sometimes get it wrong when I recall my story, but when I write it down and I, and I, and I know when I recall events, I did not touch alcohol in high school, um, but. You know i was chasing i wanted to chase money i wanted to chase women wanted to be cool and popular and and involve myself in all these things that make you cool sir um it's not cool yeah it, it was it was tough because in during this time of mental illness and all this kind of stuff i dealt with severe anger and irritability and annoyance of almost everyone in my family they didn't do anything wrong but you know. This character, as I said, that I created and developed into was angry all the time, hateful of God. Let's start being honest now and talk about the depravity of man and the nature of man, right? Is I was a complete hater of God. Uh, No fear of God before my eyes. Completely hostile to God. Uh, Didn't want him, didn't love him, was angry with him. I always knew he existed, just didn't care. I hated him, right? Um, I thought he did this all to me um or he just let just allowed it let it all happen right that's one of the two views you come to if you, if you believe in god and that's the stuff you're going through hated my parents would verbally abuse them with obscenities and perverse language all the time would threaten to hurt them mom and dad both um i wasn't really close to my brother and my sister at the time so they were just there but um you know ran away from home a couple of times not too far I went to my friend's house you know um, shout out CJ but it was tough it was very very tough for me because I had no family relationship at home and I hated hated the concept of God like if you ask my parents anytime there's some bible study that was going to happen at my house I would f- throw a tantrum I would flip out completely uh, anytime they mentioned God to me I'm like pff, super angry do not even do this with me right now I will curse at you and abuse you, and I do not want to get into this conversation. We have, you know, like paintings of verses, uh, scripture verses all over our house. So I would go to them. I remember distinctly the one at the entrance of my house. I took it, slammed it on my knees in a picture frame, took the frame, scattered it all on the ground, ripped up the verse, just left it all there, went up to my room, done, right? Um, so this was during the time. And this is all, all the stuff that led up to that sixth suicide attempt right grade 12 i attempted suicide six times and that was not an easy time because you know the first time for me was i don't want to get graphic with it but the first time for me was like uh like maybe one foot out the door let's just experiment and see if i can even do it in the first place got scared stopped it um second time same story but as i kept attempting i think i attempted like every week at least once as i kept attempting kind of noticed you know a little more tolerance for it i can I, i started convincing myself that i could do that um six time comes around and this was tough because i the method i used was i wanted to basically suffocate myself and i went through extreme means to actually try to do that and blurry vision i felt like i was on my way out and i really didn't want to you know stop myself from doing it i don't know what stopped me from committing suicide why did i just wink because i look back and i understand that the hand of god stretched out completely and intervened in that moment and kept me from it because trust me i had no will to live my will was inclined to actually destroy myself right from my perspective in that moment obviously not looking back now is oh yeah i don't know what that is? What's what's that little light that I just felt in my heart? What is that little sense of hope um, that I just had? What is that moment of, yeah, I can I can stop this and I can do something with my life, right? What was that from my perspective back then? No idea. So I stopped. That was the last suicide attempt I had. I got taken to the hospital. I was in the hospital uh, under you know suicide watch and took away my, I had this cross necklace and they took it away because they didn't want me harming myself. So my parents actually like taped, literally tape across on, taped across on my chest. Um, and I kept that on for like two months after I got out. But anyways, yeah, so it was pretty rough. I went to the hospital. Those are the only people I told. Um, but I've never told anyone about that hope. That's what I was saying. Right. The little, the little pulse of hope. Um, and in the hospital, you know, I had time to reflect coming out i had time to reflect and i remember sitting downstairs in i don't even know what the room is called the family room um uh home alone you know playing music and completely hopeless with a light of hope that that moment that attempt kind of did to me right and that was between me myself and i i didn't tell anyone about that yeah, so there I'm sitting downstairs, you know, no idea. I've tried all these medications. I They're not helping at all. I'm continuing to take them, but they're not helping. I am involved in activities I shouldn't be involved in. I'm not trying to get too specific with that to respect the privacy of myself and other people. And nothing is bringing me fulfillment, right? Absolutely nothing. All the this character that I had... Um, The friends that I had, uh, therapy did nothing. Counseling did nothing. The medication did nothing. And I had this moment where, as I said, in that suicide moment, 100%, God stretched out his arm, intervened. Looking back on it, I know that's what happened. Definitively. And I had this moment where I was sitting there alone contemplating life not contemplating suicide because i i I had that hope right so contemplating life itself and i get this urgency to cry out to god so what year is this 2017 okay get this urgency and this push to cry out to god and i do i say you know what i've tried everything i want to try you jesus and i message my mom saying that exact thing that I've tried everything and I want to try Jesus. Can you help me? And obviously she said yes. I started attending church. And slowly, see, okay, without going off topic, I was never promised by my family or anyone else. You give your life to Jesus and he will heal you of all your mental illness. Not nah, that, I'll leave that up to the will of God, not the will of people telling me that's going to happen. So my mental illness persisted, um, but the hope in me increased, right? So, yes, those two things can coexist. It is not contrary to each other. They are not contrary to each other. And while that persisted at a very high level, the depression specifically, and, um, you know, not really having purpose in general, the hope in me started to increase. And I gave my life to God. So it seemed coming out of high school, what, what, what's it, what's next, right? That's what everyone asks is what university are you going to brother? Um, what are you studying? What do you want to do when you're older? And I always, I always talk like this. I just pre, um, you know, taught a little, taught something at my church and I, I went on the same little tangent. I'd say, what's your, what's your one-year plan for your plan, five-year plan, 10 year plan. How are you gonna do this? How are you gonna afford this, brother? I'm 18 years old, right? And and these are the questions that are being flung my way, even back then, and they're still flung my way. Um, annoying. But anyways, it's like I was peer pressured to go to university. I wanted to follow my friends. Not uh, not peer pressured by them. I'd say pressured by society and the world, and you know, family members. Not. Not my actual family, because they never actually forced me, but people in general around me, right? And the world just says, you know, go to university. You need this degree. Make sure this is up. So I go to Ryerson University. And I'm in business management. But the summer leading up to that was very bad. Because, you know, I that hope is in me and all that sounded great. But that is when I started drinking alcohol, and that is when I started smoking weed at an insane level. Um, more so, I don't even know. More so, this than the other. No, they're both pretty bad. Not gonna lie. And I am drinking every day, smoking every day. Wake up, smoke before I sleep, smoke. One of my friends was like, "Where well, do you ever not smoke?" And I'm like, "Nah, dude, I, I have to." seems like it uh, takes the edge off um and at a certain point you know there's drinking and the smoking continued and continued and continued and continued i dropped out of ryerson <laughs> within the first like eight weeks i'd say um no interest in, in studying there uh high out of my mind all the time no motivation That's what that kind of stuff does, by the way, Uh, if you get addicted to it like that. I was working like different jobs. I started here, quit there, started somewhere else, all this kind of stuff. And part of that showed me that no fulfillment comes from jobs and money, right? There was something missing. My significant other is Mariah, by the way. So I was an unbeliever. I will 100% say, even though I had that hope, unbeliever uh, when I was at Ryerson. And I met Mariah very, you know, cool that I met her there as an unbeliever. You know, I got to know her and in the end of December, I, I entered into a relationship with her, um, I made it official with her, you know, can you be my girlfriend? She said, yes. And I went to Montreal to celebrate new years, not with Mariah, but with all my friends. To be quite honest, like I was only friends with like a couple of them. I didn't really know the other, the other people do well, they were friends and friends and friends, right. But I was just like there, um, whatever, we we're just going to smoke get high, drink, and party, right? First night, I go crazy, absolutely berserk. Wake up the next day. As soon as I wake up, repeat. And un- not unfortunately, fortunately, perspective, right? Fortunately, the second night in the club, I smoked way too much, drank way too much, and I, I actually passed out in the club. And I recall, I recall this very well. I woke up, people ask me, like, yo, are you dead? Are you dead? Everyone else is drunk too, right? Like, are oh, you dead? I just woke up. Like, obviously, I'm not dead. And um, they take me, you know, a couple of people there take me to the back, and they're asking me questions. Oh, did you do drugs? Did you? What did you do? I told them everything. And it felt like I was sober. No joke, it felt like I was completely sober. With the amount I drank, at least 16 shots of tequila, bottle of vodka before we went, weed to the max. So, don't ask me how I was sober. Hand of God. That's the answer. But completely sober. I, I was like, bro, what I came to my senses completely. And that day going forward, I felt very unsettled. I felt very, very, very unsettled as to what was going on. Um, why is this all going on? And what can I change? What can I do, pick up on the on the usage of my words here, to feel better, or not to feel better, sorry, to, what can I do to be saved by God from this situation? Early 2018, okay, I realized my need for God because God had stepped in first. And show me my need for God. I was convicted of everything I was doing. You don't get convicted unless the Holy Spirit's convicting you, by the way. Okay, you can't convict yourself. True conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And I knew that was a sign. I knew that was a sign that something changed. And God had stepped in. As I, I love using this term, stretched out his hand, intervened, grabbed me, pulled me out, and opened my eyes, opened my ears, so I can see him and hear his word. I can see his word, hear his word, and start to see life differently. We call that regeneration or um, being born again, right? This is 2018. And at that point, I took it seriously, because I'm going to recount it at the end, which is fine. Let me continue. I took it seriously. And with conviction and the Holy Spirit working, I slowly gave up alcohol. Weed was a hard one, because I was addicted, obviously, to both. Gave that up. And slowly, the Lord started showing me my talents and... What he's blessed me with and what he's instilled in me and started coming back to my memory. Mariah has an amazing voice and she would tell me that. And I would remember that I grew up loving to play guitar, right? And I gave it all up when I got in all this kind of stuff. And I started playing guitar. She started singing and we actually brought that to my weekly family prayers and that is the means by which God reintroduced us both to the faith, um, being very involved at home, asking questions. I I wouldn't say reading His Word consistently, um, but reading His Word. You know, having the confidence to say His name, um, to speak of speak about Him again. And I know that the Lord had graciously saved me. There's no other way to put it. I want to place all emphasis on him and his grace and his work in me um, to pull me out of what I went through to intervene and save me and to regenerate me completely of his own accord. And I thank the Lord for that, Um, because when I recall my testimony, I will recall it truthfully. It's not what I did or what I said it's what the Lord did in me first how I responded to him once he's already done it and now pursuing that because he's doing the work and he will see that work into completion. So I want to give all glory to God for that. And with the conviction and, you know, slowly letting things go and growing my faith with Mariah, starting to have conversations with family and her, um, starting to attend church again. Let's fast forward to 2020. Things were just going well. Mental illness is is slowly reducing um, in the sense that I'm coping with it better. And we go to a family um, dinner, come home, and all of a sudden after that dinner this crazy thought pops in my head. Um, I want to go to Tyndale University. I want to go to Tyndale University. And where did that thought miraculously come from? Obviously God, but where where was the origin of that? Is through my family members encouraging me to consider education, Um, through my spiritual mentor um, from my old Christian private school who constantly kept in touch with me and always told me about Tyndale, always told me about Christian education and the value of it. All that was just ringing in my mind when when that thought was produced by God in my mind, all those things came to back it up, right? Kind of confirming that. And I remember saying right away, "Oh, I want to go to Tyndale to my, to my family. All of them jumped up, obviously, and we so excited. Um, and I started in 2020. But how do I recall these events and why is it so important to share it is you start to see um, Seth and I talk about this a lot. You start to see the hands of God directly involved. Like we, we literally say his hands and they're directly involved. In all aspects of what was happening, um, he worked. God, God works all things according to the counsel of His will, right? Ephesians one eleven, and all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Um, so, God one hundred percent worked, had a divine purpose in all those things I went through. I have no doubt. Um, Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and steadfastness and strength and none of that would happen unless, you know, I went through those things and God used it and worked it um, to a point where I'm on my knees asking for his help and his saving grace, his grace that he places on, that he placed on me uh, in and of himself. And I thank him and and obviously to the praise of his glorious grace as to why he would do that um when i look back on it you know just growing up in the faith going into high school losing that faith the point i wanted to make is you can't inherit faith from your family can not inherit faith uh, from your parents you can't you can't you're not born and somehow you're supernaturally in the faith That's, that's just not how it works um I'm pulling up a passage that I love and I don't want to miss, I don't want to paraphrase it, I want to read it directly, which is John 1 12 and 13. Uh, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born. Now take this and take in the specific language to show you that you can't inherit faith. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God regenerated and born again 100 percent, according to the will of god um and as i said all to the praise of his glorious grace um calling me according to his purpose and his will and i thank him um for intervening and stepping in and saving me from all these things um and i'm so excited to be at tindale studying and you know god god has given me a very clear picture and calling over my life that is very, very, very private to me. Um, it's between God and I. I have not shared it with a single person. Um, I've shared small details with, obviously, a couple people close to me. But the calling over my life is very specific. And I see I see it because God has given me this calling over my life. Um, I've shared... I've shared what you know I did share with my church some aspect of it I'd say but in this past summer I keep mentioning the summer every episode In this past summer and just leading up to the moment my intimacy has grown like crazy with God and um, I thank him for directing my steps and directing my path um, giving me purpose and a plan that little sense of hope that popped up in the midst of me about to end my life, you know? That's saving grace right there. And I thank Him for, for gifting me with saving faith in Him. I thank Him for the Holy Spirit. I thank Him for working all things according to the Council as well. Um, that's my testimony. I think it's 43 minutes and 30 seconds, but this man, Seth, will edit it down for you all. But I hope I didn't miss any events. I recalled it as best I can. It was... A long time ago in my mind at least because of the new self that I am now uh, read Colossians you know putting on the new self and, and yeah absolutely amazing so thank you everyone for listening and I hope this resonates with you on some level if it doesn't no worries if it does praise God would love to hear how it connected and resonated with you um, any thoughts you have surrounding it any questions I'd love to answer. Um, I'm not cricket. I'm barely on social media, so I can't even link our social media when I'm speaking, but Seth will link our stuff in the description below. Um, and we will see you next week for another episode. Praise God. Grace and peace to you.